Tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Barzell with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian. And I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Glad to be with you here on the Locked On Podcast Network as we talk about everything happening that's New York Islanders related. And folks, the Islanders have arrived in the bubble in Toronto ready to prepare for tomorrow night's preseason game against the Rangers. And then, starting August 1st, the play-in series against the Florida Panthers. We have got the latest on the Islanders' arrival, plus, of course, our Islanders' birthday of the day. And then, a little bit later on, part two of my in-depth analysis of the playoff series against the Panthers with Locked On's own Ross Levitan as we break down this series from so many angles and get you all ready to go. And uh, I'm psyched. I'm ready. This is uh, an exciting week for hockey fans, to say the least. If there's something that's on your mind, a comment, a question, a topic you'd like us to discuss, send us an email, the address LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. Leave us your name, where you're from. We will mention you on the air when we discuss whatever it is. That's on your mind. You could follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Isles, and you could follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at Ice Wars NYRVSNYI, and we'll have the latest Islanders news and, and happenings for you right there, keep you up to date on what's happening with the team in between shows. So, the Islanders left Long Island, they have arrived in Toronto, and they practiced yesterday in Toronto for the first time, and they were at a a place called the Ford Performance Center, which was, or still is actually, an Olympic-sized rink. And the drawback to playing on an Olympic-sized rink, and Barry Trotz mentioned this yesterday when discussing what was going on, they did not practice either the penalty kill or the power play. And Obviously, there's a reason for that. Uh, An Olympic-sized rink is wider than what NHL teams play on, and that changes all the angles when you're defending on the power play or trying to set up passing or shooting lanes and everything else. So the Islanders were on the Olympic-sized rink, 30 players participating in practice, but no... Uh, no special teams practice, and again, we have talked about how important special teams is going to be once this series gets underway, but all NHL teams in the Toronto bubble will be participating, 
uh, and having one practice session at this Olympic-sized arena. So it's not like the Islanders are being placed at a disadvantage or anything of that nature. But all the teams are sort of a little bit behind the eight ball because it's very difficult to practice uh, special teams, especially on the wider rink. Here's what Barry Trotz had to say after Monday's practice. We had everyone on the ice. We just worked on our five-on-five play. We got up and down the ice. We had the day off for travel yesterday. It was a work day, and we got up and down the ice. A lot of our execution, probably a bit more rush play than you'd seen practicing. So that's what uh, Trotz had to say. And the Islanders arriving, a lot of pictures up on the Islanders' website of the players in their, uh, you know, jackets and, uh, you know, suits without, most of them without ties, wearing masks as they get out of a bus and, and head toward the bubble. And it's important because, you know, I will say this, out of all the sports that are trying to return, I think the NHL has the best chance of being able to successfully pull this off because the NHL is A, in a bubble, and you see already how badly that's hurting Major League Baseball, where, you know, 14 members of the Florida Marlins, excuse me, Miami Marlins, uh, end up testing positive. Uh, Members of their organization, not all of them players, but now all of a sudden, you know, the team they played against, the team that's in the same stadium the next night, the team that, uh, you know, they're going to play next. All these games have to be canceled, postponed, what have you. And all it takes in a non-bubble situation is one or two players to go someplace they're not supposed to go, do something risky, and they spread it to their teammates, then to the opposing team. So hockey doing it right in the bubble, and then the fact that the NHL is up in Canada where cases are not as, you know, high, the case numbers and the positive rate and all those other things. Canada doing a better job of handling the pandemic than our government is right now, unfortunately. So I think the NHL has a better chance than the other sports. Uh, NBA, of course, being in Orlando makes it a little tougher as that's a hot spot down in Florida. I hope they can get this underway. And the NHL did make an announcement yesterday that between July 18th and July 25th, they conducted over 4,200 COVID tests on 800 players and no positive results surfaced. So hopefully all 24 teams in there uh, will get into the bubbles in Edmonton and in Toronto Without any COVID positive players there, and then the challenge is, of course, for them to stay that way. But the uh, NHL, very happy to make that announcement. And now the uh, league, the Players Association, working together, getting things going, and, and we'll see if they can keep everybody safe going forward. Meanwhile, big choice coming for the Islanders. Barry Trotz would not say who his goaltender is going to be 
once the playoffs get underway. But he did mention that both Simeon Varlamov and Tomas Grice would play in Wednesday night's exhibition game against the Rangers. Trotz telling reporters both guys will get work. I'm pretty close to making a decision, but I can't make a bad decision. I have trust in both of them. And again, the numbers are fairly similar. Varlamov, 19-14-6, and six, a 2-6, two goals against a 9-14 save percentage. Grice, a slightly higher goals against average of 2.74, a save percentage barely lower, 9-13 against 9-14, but Grice, 16 wins, 9 losses, 4 ties. Seems like the Islanders have played better in front of Grice this year. Again, I get the feeling Trotz goes with Varlamov, but we'll see how both goalies do tomorrow night against the Rangers, and that'll be our first indication as to how they are looking as the team prepares for the upcoming play-in series against the Florida Panthers. Still to come, our Islanders birthday of the day and our in-depth preview with Ross Levitan of the Islanders-Panthers series part two on the Locked On Islanders podcast. One other uh, piece of Islanders news before we get to our Islanders birthday of the day. Matt Martin named as the Islanders nominee for the King Clancy Award that is given to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. Two Islanders have won this award since its inception back in 1988, Brian Trottier winning it back in 89, and then Doug Waite winning in 2011. The three finalists will be announced in August, and during the conference finals, they will announce the winner. So the winner gets a $25,000 donation from the National Hockey League Foundation to benefit a charity or charities of his choice, and the runners-up will each get $5,000 to their uh, charity of their choice. So certainly uh, we know Matt Martin has been very involved in a lot of charity work and, and community work here on Long Island, and uh, good luck to Matt Martin uh, as he goes up for this award. All right, Islanders' birthday of the day today. Uh, quite honestly, I don't know how popular this is going to be, but happy 51st uh, birthday to Garth Snow, who was originally drafted by the Quebec Nordique in the sixth round back in 1987, played four years at the University of Maine, made his NHL debut with Quebec, then off to Philadelphia and Vancouver, a brief stop in Pittsburgh, and then four seasons with the Islanders before becoming the Islanders' general manager. Now, as a player, uh, Snow pretty popular. As a general manager, the fans got a little restless, and the re results were mixed, according to most fans, uh, if you really think about it. But uh, look, I had the privilege of interviewing Garth Snow a number of times. Class act, good man, uh, and 
regardless of how you feel about his time as GM. Uh, just a good all-around human being, a man of his word, and uh, Garth Snow, happy 51st birthday. We go back and look at one of Garth's better games with the Islanders. It'll be February 11th, 2003 at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Islanders with Garth Snow in goal against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And in between the pipes for Tampa Bay, Nikolai Habibulin, the Bulin Wall. Islanders break out on top first with Nolan Pratt in the box for holding. Michael Pekka got his ninth goal of the season. Power play goal from Jason Blake and Kenny Janssen. One to nothing Islanders. But Sean Bates and Adrian Acoin both heading off at 927. Bates for hooking a coin for slashing. And the Lightning take advantage. Dan Boyle, his eighth from Brad Richards and Vinny Prospal. And it's a one-to-one hockey game at 1024. Islanders, however, get two goals late in the first period. First, even strength, Jason Weimer, his seventh from Dave Scatcherd and Kenny Janssen. That made it a two-to-one hockey game in favor of the Islanders. Then, with Corey Sarich in the box for roughing, Mark Parrish comes through with his 21st of the year. Adrian Acoin and Roman Hammerlick with the assists at 1923. And at the end of the first period, it's a 3 to 1 hockey game in favor of the Islanders. Only one game, uh, one goal rather, in the second period. Dave Scatchard of the Islanders makes it a 4 to 1 New York lead. His 15th, Matthias Wienhandel and Jason Weimer with the assists. At 15:24, Islanders, after 40 minutes, have a 4-1 to one lead. The Lightning keep it close. Frederick Modine is 14th from Pavel Kabina and Vinny Prospel at 8:10, makes it a 4-2 hockey game. But then Dave Scatcherd scores at 10:35 from Radek Martinek and Jason Blake. And then again at 15-16, at Scatcherd, his second of the game, 17th of, uh, excuse me, third of the game, 17th of the season from Jason Weimer and Jason Blake. Final score in this one, Islanders 6, Lightning 2, Lightning get 42 shots on goal, but Garth Snow making 40 saves in this one. Uh, Dave Scatchard with the hat trick and a four-point night. Jason Weimer, one goal, two assists. Jason Blake, three assists. Kenny Janssen with a pair of helpers. It was uh, Dave Scatchard, who was a plus four, along with Jason Weimer, in this game to lead the Islanders, while with shots on goal, Scatchard's three goals coming on a team high, five shots. Islanders outshot 42-33 to in what was a fairly... Wide open game, but for Garth Snow, a 40-save effort, and the victory, Islanders 6, Lightning 2, on this uh, celebration of our Islanders' birthday of the day. Happy birthday to Garth Snow. Still to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast, part 2 of our in-depth preview of the Islanders-Panthers playoff series, with Ross Levitan. Alright, now it's time for part two of our in-depth preview of the Islanders-Panthers play-in series. We're joined by Locked On's Ross Levitan. 
Um, Florida, you got to stay out of the box when you're up against them as well. 10th best power play in the league. Special teams, I think, is where there's a pretty big advantage where the Islanders power play 24th. And you look at, at the individual power play scoring leaders and 12 points for Barzal, 11 for Aberle, 10 for Broussard. That's one, two, three. Whereas Huberto had 29, Hoffman had 21, Yandel had 21. Like the whole first power play unit for the Islanders had at least five or more points than anyone on the Islanders. So how much is their power play going to be? We know special teams this time of year is paramount. They're going to have to get more production from their power play to be successful. I mean, the the saving grace perhaps in this is that the Florida penalty kill is ranked 20th in the league. Yep. They're not looking spectacular either. So, uh, and, and I think there's a couple of keys, uh, you know, as far as the power play goes, that's the situation where a guy like Barzal can use his speed, uh, create some space and, and really make plays. Whereas you're going to see that for his role. And then Anders Lee, his role is going to be getting in front of Bobrovsky, screening him, getting deflections, rebounds and the like, and try to get those so-called dirty goals that come in handy. But look, the Islanders, special teams is going to be huge. They have to stay out of the box because that Panthers power play is very potent. And and then, you know, it, it's going to be a question of getting enough from that Islanders power play because they're not a very good, consistent goal-scoring team. That's been the problem for this Islanders club all season. Well, something funny when you're looking for goals is putting a grinder in your top six. What do you make? I saw earlier this week during some, some line drills, they had Ross Johnston up <laughs> with uh, Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey in the top six. What do you make of that? Uh, I think they're they're looking at a lot of different possibilities. I mean, you know, I I don't think that Johnston ends up in the top six. I mean, at at, uh, at practice today, they had Nelson, Bavillier, and Bailey as a trio with Barzal, Lee, and Eberly as the top. Then Pajot, Johnston, and Broussard, and then Sezikis, Martin, and Clutterbuck. That so- line's not ever getting mixed up. Yeah, no, that line that line is so, the closest thing they have to etch. The first and the fourth lines are pretty close to etched in stone if everybody stays healthy. Uh, and and, and at, at the end of the day, you know, they're looking for combinations and they're looking to give people a chance. And I think the, the fact that the Islanders have struggled to score for most of the season – is why Barry Trotz is looking to find the right chemistry offensively, but always with Barry Trotz, that has to be without sacrificing defense. Of course. And with Joel Quenville, he's a little more, maybe a riverboat gambler style where he's not afraid to spread the offense out and and really kind of attack. And we saw that. I mentioned all the power play guys on that top unit, really loading up there. Whereas um, it seems at least through camp, Barkov and Huberto are going to be split up, which um, didn't happen often this season, but I guess that way they feel there's a more depth in the top six, adding Eric Howla in that kind of surprising trade for Vincent Trocek uh, at the trade deadline. So Howla's in between Huberto and Hoffman. I mean, the Triple H line might have some offensive uh, punch as well. And then you look at the two-way line, I think you can match up Barkov, Dadanov, and, and uh, Frankie Vitrano against any line in the league. A uh, good responsible two-way line, but still, if Barkov's on there, you know they're dangerous offensively as well. So I think, yeah, I, I'd say the Panthers are a little more set in terms of their lineup. Uh, I like what you mentioned there with 
two out of four lines set and then just find the right combinations in the middle. It looks like uh, the back end is is actually kind of intriguing for you guys as well. Andy Green, uh, a pickup. You gave up a second-round pick to get him at the trade deadline. And I noticed he was uh, skating with Noah Dobson, um, the up-and-coming, uh, what I believe will be a stud in the National Hockey League one one day or another. We've been seeing around the around the entire league young guys making an impact at camp. Has Noah Dobson done enough that he might get into one of these games, or would it take a major injury or two for that to be the case? You know, the, the duo of Dobson and Green has gotten a lot of praise from Barry Trotz since camp officially opened up last week. And they may play themselves in to the lineup in a couple of games. And it's an interesting combination because Green, you know, you're 37-year-old. I've seen it all. One, you know, won a lot of playoff series and games. Uh, kind of guy, a veteran. And Dobson, a rookie who is just starting to come into his own. I think the break really helped Dobson. I know that, you know, he worked on his strength during the break. And and that's a key for a lot of young hockey players. Dobson has a very bright future, as you mentioned, and he may just play his way into the lineup a few games in this series uh, based on the fact that he's looked so good since the return. Could it be at the expense of Johnny Boychuk, a well-respected veteran, maybe a kind of guy who excels in the playoffs when the games go more in the corners and he's really good at getting the puck out of that out of those situations? We know he had that scary uh, injury earlier in the season. Is he fully recovered from that? And is he a kind of guy that could be a candidate to come out of the lineup at the expense of a guy like Dobson? I think he is the kind of guy who would be the candidate. He is back. He is healthy and ready to go. At least that's what everybody is saying. I mean, the whole league is being very hush-hush about injuries these days. We're not even getting upper body, lower body anymore. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, if anybody, Boychuk would be one of the candidates to uh, to take a seat. Well, they, you know they're going to need all the defensive uh, acumen they can, and he brings a, a whole heck of experience. Uh, I believe he was on that Bruins team in 2011 that uh, that won the Stanley Cup. Either, either way, he's had a bunch of big games. 2013, making it to the finals with the Bruins, and uh, he's the kind of guy that you could see a coach want to lean on as well, and maybe um, be a little more conservative and not want to take out of the lineup, especially uh, for a 19 or 20 year old defenseman uh, coming out of junior as well. What would you say concerns Islanders fans the most about this Panthers team? What are they worried about? Uh, like, let's say that the Panthers achieve something in particular, Islanders fans will be like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. I, I think the biggest thing is if Sergei Bobrovsky turns it on again and finds his game, that would be the biggest obstacle. You look at the statistics, and on paper, this looks like a really good defensive team in the Islanders against a really good offensive team that struggles on defense with the Panthers. You know, Florida ranked 26th in goals against this year. If Bobrovsky gets hot in this playoff series, all of a sudden that area that the Islanders thought they had an advantage in disappears in a hurry. Yeah, I certainly agree with that assessment as well. And with the the Panthers, I think if the first game is 2-1 or 1-0, they're in trouble. They want it to be high scoring. They want it to be back and forth odd man rush after odd man rush and i think they'd be happy taking uh trading chances uh with the islanders going head to head i think they would be too and i think barry trotz would not be happy (laughs) if that's the style of play his team is going to engage in because 
they can't win too many games six to five. That's not the way the Islanders win hockey games. So who's your X factor then in this series if you're looking at the Islanders up and down their lineup? I have to go with Pajot because they need something from that third line. It's It's been sort of a black hole offensively for most of the season. And if, if Pajot gets going, then Brassard probably has a good chance of getting going. He played his best hockey on the wing when injury struck early in the season. And he moved from third line center to second line wing. If you can get Pajot and Brassard together on a line and, and get both of them giving them not a lot of offense, but just some contributions, some, you know, steady contributions over the course of the series that makes the Islanders a lot more dangerous offensively than they have been most of the season. Right. And we mentioned Pajot with a pair of playoff hat tricks. This guy's got, uh, he had 10 points, eight goals in 19 games uh, in 2017 with Ottawa, whereas Derek Broussard, also a member of that Sens team had 11 points. So both of them were certainly contributing offensively and little fun fact, Derek Broussard's next game, so game one against Florida, will be his 100th playoff game. And while he's with the Rangers, he earned the nickname Big Game Brass because this guy came to play. He's actually got 23 playoff goals, 60 points. So uh, we know that he's done it in the past. And, of course, that was in his mid-20s. He's now getting into 32 um, year, which, I mean, is is not uh, the end of the line. He's still a serviceable player. But I think you're right, uh, singling out Pajot in particular. But, yeah, I think that Pajot playing well would certainly bode well um, for Derek Broussard too, and that could only help their offensive push because I don't think that there's much doubt that they'll get a few goals at the very least out of that top line, Anders Lee with Barzal and Jordan Eberle. Um, is maybe Eberle's lack of postseason experience a bit of a concern, or does that just water under the bridge? I don't think it'll be that big a concern. He did well last year, uh, especially in that first round when when the Islanders – you know, pulled the upset and and swept. So I I don't think they're all that concerned about him. And, you know, he he has always been traditionally, even in regular seasons, a slow starter and a fast finisher. So I I think the Islanders are are confident that he'll be there when the puck drops uh, next week and and, and this play-in round gets underway. Ross, how, how concerned are you about the Florida defensive core not so much from an offensive standpoint, because they do have some very talented offensive defensemen, but from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, you know what? They're asking a lot out of a couple of younger players. Now, Mackenzie Wieger's been in the league for a couple of years now, but he's elevated all the way onto their top unit. So uh, he's going to have to eat up, uh, well, just like in the regular season, he was eating up 20 minutes, uh, just over 20 minutes uh, per game. And then you look at their second pair, Kind of what you mentioned with Andy Green and Noah Dobson, except instead of being their fourth pair, this is the second unit uh, where you have um, Riley Stillman, actually the son of former NHLer Corey Stillman, uh, who was a star back in the day with the Carolina Hurricanes, won the cup yeah. with them in 06. But his son, much more of a defensive defenseman, they're going to need a lot of that. And th- that pair lacks offense because Anton Strollman, yeah, he put up a couple of good offensive seasons in, in his younger years, but now he's a stay-at-home like off the glass and out, maybe make a good uh, outlet pass here and there, but you're not going to get much offense from that pair. So I think Stillman and Strallman is the pair to watch in terms of a defensive role. And Keith Yandel being on the third pair, we know he's the highest paid player of all these guys, uh, maybe besides Ekblad actually on this uh, Panthers back end. So you look at Yandel, you look at a guy that when you're down in a game, he has no problem being able to handle minutes and, and elevating 
to that uh, that top pair. So I think you will see a lot of Yandel and Ekblad in this series as a as a pair, although they won't start together at even strength. Look for them on the power play to, to excel as well. And they do have, like, Brady Keeper was a great story coming out um, of that Indigenous community in, in Alberta. Hadn't played hockey until really late in his life and, and making it all the way to the National Hockey League. So a great story there. He's a guy who could really come into this series and add a bit of physicality. Um, so th- they have options. I don't think it's the strength of their team by any stretch. It would be. And good for you to point out that that is the weakness of this team. But I do think that with Strawman added, it really boosts the overall impact and just the, the calmness. He brings just a level of poise to this group that I think will be really important going forward. I, I agree. And, and, you know, you have Strawman and Yandel, two veterans who have been through the war, so to speak, and, and have playoff experience. And, and they're not going to get flustered by this unusual set of circumstances where we're seeing hockey in August. All right, thanks again to Ross Levitan for joining me and uh, breaking down this playoff series between the Islanders and the Panthers. He and I will have part three of our playoff preview tomorrow, and we'll have our final predictions for the series, so you don't want to miss that. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a league-wide perspective on the National Hockey League. Stay safe, everybody. Have a great day. And remember, we are this close now to the resumption of hockey. And of course, let's go Islanders.